So we today continue the series called Revive, which is uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, I, again, I, as I said last week, as I've been praying and kind of preparing for the series, really asking God to say, hey, Lord, what, what is it that you want from us right now? What do we need to hear from you? I keep on hearing that word revive. I think God is asking us to be revived that actually as we come back together, we would revive. That as we continue to step where God is calling us as a church, as a fellowship, we would revive. I believe that he is telling us to revive as we come out of lockdown, that we would emerge stronger, more united, more alive than ever before. That we would come revived together to what he has yet to do in us and through us. As a reminder, starting in Philippians 1 last week, again, Paul is writing this some 30 years after he's kind of established the church, after he's uh, kind of founded the church. The church in Philippi was, as we see in Acts 16, it was, he was kind of the founding member, if you will. And in some 30 years after that point, he is writing to them. And he is writing because he knows these people. He knows the community. He loves the community. He is writing to encourage, to remind, to, to build up and say, hey, come on. To remind them, to assure them, reassure them that he is okay. That he may be in prison at the moment as he's writing this letter. But hey, he is okay. He, call, he calls, he writes. Uh, I guess today we would have called. Uh, he writes to really encourage the community to say, hey, keep on going. I might be suffering for Christ, but that's okay because the kingdom is worth it. And last week, he kind of drops this bombshell of, of to live is Christ, to die is gain. This kind of moment of eternal perspective reminding us that actually in Christ, we have life to live in this place, but actually in Christ, our death means that we will be joined to him. There's much, so much more to gain from our death than what we could ever imagine. But that while we live, while we have breath in our lungs, that, that you can breathe in and out, whether it be easy or not, whatever breath you have in your lungs, you have life, and that life is called to be for Christ. And he drops that bombshell, and he says to us, he reminds us that actually as we're living for Christ, we may suffer a bit, perhaps more than a bit. But he says, hey, be encouraged. You can do it. With Christ, you can do all things. And he says, you might suffer like I'm suffering, but it is suffering for the kingdom. It is suffering for Christ. And so there is this reminder for us from last week that we are called to give our lives to him. Called to be united. Because he, because he speaks massively about us being united as a church. United in mind, in love, in spirit. Moving forward together as a church. And we are called to be revived into it. And I want to remind you that, hey, we may not have been together for the last year and a bit. But guess what? We are still brothers and sisters. And hey, we may not have been journeying every bit of life like we would have wanted to. But hey, we are called to journey it together. So I want to encourage you to pray and seek God that we would be revived and joined further, that we would be united as we come out of lockdown, that we would be united as we move into what God's got for us, that we would be united as we serve God in Gambling Gate and beyond. Today though, today we are gonna dive into Philippians 2, and it's a bit different though. Now there's a, there's a saying that is used which talks about eating humble pie. Sometimes, oh, you know, he had to eat his humble pie today. And that, that, that saying is, is very common. And in the common usage of it, it's to kind of face humiliation and subsequently have to apologize 
for your mistake, maybe a serious mistake, maybe a simple mistake, but the, the idea of eating humble pie usually comes from, ha, you were wrong. You have been humbled because we have proven you wrong. So here's a piece of humble pie, take and eat. While the rest of us go, ha, we were right, you were wrong. But actually, that statement, that, 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 that saying implies that being humbled, perhaps even being humble, is a bad thing. We have used that phrase to say, if I have to eat a piece of humble pie, I, I'm almost embarrassed and sorry that I was maybe too hoity. And maybe there's a reality in the fact of, hey, if I'm bigging myself up, speaking from a place of not knowing and, and I need to be brought down a notch, then maybe I do need to apologize a bit. But there's this notion that actually being humble is a bad thing. Well, actually, I think Paul challenges that notion here. I think we are called to be humble. Maybe we need to be humbled. Perhaps eat a piece of that humble pie. So today, as we continue the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Philippians, we're going to see that Paul invites us to really take a chunk of that humble pie because we're invited to eat it. So we're going to turn to Philippians 2. And we're going to read all of it. And again, I encourage you last week to hopefully read all of Philippians uh, uh, 1 through 4. It's just four chapters, but it is a letter. And again, Paul wrote this letter with the intention that it would have been read as one by those in the church together. We split it up because if I read the whole thing, if I unpacked the whole thing, we would not just be here for the hour service, hour and 20 minute service, whatever it is that we're together. We would be here way, way longer. But I want to encourage you, if you have not yet done it, to dive into Philippians and read it as a whole. It's amazing how having the whole letter in one can really bring some things to life for you as well. But with that, we turn to Philippians 2, and it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here it gets really heavy. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that name, and at the name, of, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't you just want to shout amen and hallelujah there? Hopefully you are as you're watching, but we keep on going. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but, how, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when, he, when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But, but you know what? You know that Timothy has proved himself because as, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and did not, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Wow. Wow. You're probably thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much in there, Adrian, that we were there and like, oh, wow, wow, wow. yes, 100%, there is so much in there. There is so much to start with. It's the word of God. There is so much in every word that is in our scriptures. And there's so much that we see in this chapter, in this part of the letter, because again, the original letter did not have chapters. And we see that again, as a letter, he kind of really kind of goes around the houses. It's, you just picture yourself sitting down to pen a letter to your friend. You don't just say hello and give a bit of you. You, you kind of, hey, ask how you're doing. You give a whole full story. You talk about your friends, about your, and that's what he's doing here. He's encouraging them. He's giving them advice. He's asking things of them, but he's also saying, oh, by the way, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about that. And oh, Epaphroditus, I'm sending him back to you. He almost thought, oh my gosh, but he didn't. God spared him. Praise the Lord. And hey, I'm sending him back to you. And I want to rejoice with you and rejoice. Like he is just sending a letter. This is a full-on letter, communication, writing to people that he wants to share with. And, and I'm not going, I'm going to kind of start backwards, I guess, if you will. I'm not going to focus on much about the, the, the section of Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, other than he commends them. Like this part of the letter is him just kind of saying, hey, these guys are awesome. And as a good leader, he is lifting those around him up. He is lifting those who have fought for Christ. He is encouraging them, but he's also encouraging others by encouraging them. He's also commending them to those uh, in, in Philippi. And that is awesome. And that is great. 
And I think we can learn something from that. I think, I think there's, there's things that we need to recognize in actually how we encourage one another and how we lift one another, how we commend one another to one another. We have a lot to learn from that. I think there's something in learning how to celebrate those who are out fighting, who are, you know, he says, hey, celebrate and rejoice and, and, and honor Epaphroditus as he gave his life almost. He almost lost it, but he's fighting. He's a soldier fighting for Jesus. Before I dive into the rest, which I feel is the main focus, I wonder, I wonder how well we celebrate one another. I wonder how well we encourage one another and lift one another up and go, wow, look at what they, I want to encourage you and lift you up and thank you and, and I want to commend you and talk about, because you know what the reality is, is that we as a people are called to live life for Christ, are called to be loving and encouraging and, and uplifting, but for some reason we tend to slide into the things that are easier to do, which is ignore possibly the good stuff and highlight the negative. <laughs> Don't know about you, but I find it easier sometimes. It just kind of comes. And we see in a world filled of, you know, why is the news the news? The news often doesn't report things that are newsworthy. They report things that are negative just to kind of rile some people up. But I think there's a challenge that we see as we see Paul write. Hey, let me tell you that Timothy, there's no one greater. And I'm sending him to you to encourage you, to, to build you up in Epaphroditus. Oh my gosh, he, he was there and he, he heard that he was ill, but he's not. He's fine because God loves him and spared him. And, and hey, he is such an awesome guy. And honor him for what he's done. I wonder if there are those around you that God wants you to honor, to lift up, to encourage, to pray for, to love on. Maybe you're already doing it. If you are, amen, keep on going, keep on loving and encouraging. But if you're not, maybe there's something there. But that isn't our focus for today. We're going to go and jump back to the beginning of the, the first part, I guess, if you will, of, of chapter two, where we see that Paul really wants to remind us of something. Again, we are reminded of how essential to our unity and love how essential, we are reminded of how essential unity, our unity, and love are to our faith. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> See, in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that we're called to be united in our faith, called to be united of one mind, of one spirit, you know, moving together, united. And here in, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement uh, uh, um, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from this love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. I mean, Paul is coming in heavy with this stuff to say, hey, let's be united. He is putting it on thick. You have to be united, sharing in the Spirit, sharing in that, that if you've received that tenderness, that compassion, then hey, be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit. I mean, he is coming in thick. You ever have that guy? Maybe I'm one of those guys to you who just kind of lays it on heavy and just kind of thick, 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 thick stuff, but just kind of battering home a point. He is just finished talking about, hey, be united. Don't forget you might suffer like I've suffered. But also, if you've experienced God's love, that love from Christ, that tenderness, be united. <laughs> he is really, really powerfully, massively, repeatedly encouraging the church at Philippi to be united. Again, we don't have any evidence of the church of Philippi being broken or, or anything like that. It wasn't like they were, they were arguing amongst themselves. It, it, it was just encouraging them saying, hey, just keep up, just make sure that you are being like-minded. And again, we can't walk through scripture without really seeing that calling on us. That as followers of Christ, we are called to be united. United with Christ, but also united with one another. 
You cannot open Scripture and not see that. Anyone who speaks about a division in Scripture is not reading Scripture because God's people are called to be one. We're called to move as one. And Paul here is saying, hey, if you have had any of these from Christ, that that comfort from his love, that sharing in his spirit, that tenderness and compassion, then have the same love, be one in the spirit, be one in mind. So let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced any of those things from Christ? Have you experienced comfort from his love? Have you experienced the sharing of his spirit? Have you experienced tenderness and compassion? Can't quite hear you, but hopefully you're shouting yes. Because the truth of the matter is, even if you're in a place of of darkness right now, you're in a place of, oh my gosh, life is rough right now. You are maybe crying out. If you believe that Jesus walked the earth, took the cross for you, died and rose again, then guess what? You've known his comfort from love because that is love. You've known that tenderness and compassion because he did that for you. He did that for me. He's done that for us. And so we have experienced those things already. Even if life is rubbish for us right now, we have experienced those things from Christ. And I don't know about you, but I get really excited about it. But then I'm challenged. And I'm challenged because you know what? More often than just that moment I do when I turn to God in prayer, when I, when I come to him with my brokenness, when I come to him with the things I cry out for, and I'm, and I'm reminded about how much he loves me, and I, and I see breakthrough. And even though I might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I know, I know that he's there to comfort me. I know that he's going to give me peace. Even when I feel most anxious, I can cry out to him and receive that peace. And so in those moments, I go, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I praise you. And then I see that I'm also called to walk in unity with those around me, that if I've experienced those things from Christ, I've got to go out and, and, and give that love. I've got to go out. I've got to go out and be one with you. If you love Jesus, I've got to be one with you. And that might mean that, hey, maybe we disagree on some things. Maybe we don't see eye to eye, but how are we going to move forward together? And I don't know about you, but I get excited. I get encouraged. I'm like, come on. And when I'm feeling revived by the Spirit, when I'm like, I want to keep on going, I want to go as one church. Not just one GBC, but yes, one GBC, but I want to go as one global church. I mean, I feel like we are called to move together. So I go, come on, Jesus. Come on. What is next? Where are we going? What are we doing? How are we moving for your kingdom, Lord? Come on. As we go in unity, we are meant to walk together. But then you might be asking, well, how how do we do that? We have to value Others above ourselves, as Christ did for us. We read, starting at verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. If that wasn't enough, he then continues, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If I were to ask you, who's the most valuable person in your life? 
Go on, who is it? Just shout it out at the screen. Hopefully your first name, hopefully, is that of Jesus. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lie and pretend that all of us answered that. You may have said your spouse, your kids, but hopefully it's Jesus. And then after Jesus, who's the most important name in your life? Who's the most valuable in your life? Sometimes we put maybe the name of our spouses or our family members around us. Oftentimes, our name goes first. I look after me first. If I look after me, I can then look after others. But Paul says that in humility, we're meant to value others above ourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. Now, pause. I don't want you to misunderstand me or misunderstand Paul. This is not a scripture that is saying, well, submit to those who are going to abuse you. Hey, you know what? Submit to the interests of somebody else who's doing wrong, who is, you know, not walking in love, not walking in Christ. It is not saying submit to someone or something that is abusive in any way, shape, or form, negligent in any way, shape, or form. That's not what is being said here. And so if you're in those positions, you put yourself above that. But when we are walking together in Christ, here we're called to have a bit of that humble pie and recognize that actually I'm supposed to put your interests above my own. I'm supposed to value you more than I value myself. And as, as the pastor, I'll be honest, I'll tell you that that's hard sometimes. Perhaps I do it sometimes without even knowing I do it. Other times I do it really intentionally. And other times I'm sure I fall really, really short. But if I started truly to say, hey, rather than, than thinking of what is best for me, I thought of what is best for y'all. I thought of what is best for the church. What if, I, what if I put others' value and interest above mine? What would that look like? And Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ. Okay, well, what, what is that mindset? What, what did he do for us? How did he set himself up? Well, I mean, he was, he was obedient. He served And so we see that our humility is apparent from our service and obedience. We see that our humility, our valuing of others, our our elevating others' interests above ours, that is apparent from our service and our obedience. Because actually we read in in verse 6, in being very nature God Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He he said, for the sake of the world, I'm not going to hold on to what I feel I'm owed, what is actually even mine, but I'm going to, for the sake of others, for the sake of those, the interests and and, and the value of those around me, I'm going to make myself nothing. I'm going to be taken the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness And, and being found in appearance as man, Jesus humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, how we serve, 
how we serve, how we obey God, how we serve one another, that, that is how we humble ourselves. That is how our humility is apparent. That is how we can say that I'm putting your values, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely coming and saying, you know what, I am putting your interests above mine. I'm valuing you over my own personal interests and how we serve and how we obey God and serve one another, how we serve him. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Like he says, hey, you know what? Work out your salvation. It's still, it's still a process, right? Like we believe that we are saved, but we're still going. We're still lifting up the name of Jesus. We're still being made new. We're being transformed day by day by his spirit into the likeness of Jesus. We're not the finished product yet. He says so right there. And he says, keep on working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That moment of like, hey, God is greater. God is bigger. But he does that. But he intros that phrase by saying, as you have always obeyed. When I was present as your pastor, as your leader, when I was present, you obeyed. But hey, even more so, when I wasn't present, when I wasn't looking, it wasn't like, well, mom and dad are in the building, so uh, do as they say. No, it's even when mom and dad are gone, you obeyed. And as you obeyed, keep on going. Continue to work out your salvation in humility in fearing, trembling, not rising yourself above God or anybody else. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God in you, not Paul in you, not Timothy in you, or Epaphroditus in you, or Adrian in you, or, or, or anybody in you. It is God in you as we humble ourselves to him. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He hasn't just said, oh, by the way, be humble and serve, serve one another and be obedient. He goes further to say, actually, as you serve, as you're being humble, as you're being obedient, don't complain about it. <laughs> because he says our service is, and, and obedience should come without grumbling or arguing. In verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I could stop there. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I mean, ouch, isn't that like a piece of humble pie in itself? Because right there, right there, he says, hey, you know what? Value others above yourselves. And like Christ, humble yourself and serve and be obedient to God. And then he says, hey, if that wasn't like, Difficult enough, if that wasn't an instruction enough. And for the record, again, Paul is writing with love for these guys, with encouragement. This isn't like a, you have done wrong, so start doing No, this is like, guys, Philippi, I love you. And as I love you, can I just remind you that we're called to serve Jesus, and we're called to obey him, remind you that you're called to value one another, value each other above yourselves. Like this is out of a place of love and grace and passion and, 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 and relationship with the church in Philippi. 
And he says, in addition to all of that, do it without grumbling or arguing. Now, I'm not sure about you, but there are certain times when I serve and when I have to be obedient that I grumble. <laughs> there are certain things that I've got to do that I don't like doing. And let's be honest, it's part of our nature, right? Oh, it's only right. It's only human. Oh, I love a good moan. Don't we get together? Don't even get it's like a joke. It's a running joke. Oh, we got together. We just had a good moan, didn't we? I'm, I'm like, it's part of what we, it's human nature. We moan about stuff. But it's human nature. The broken human nature. The sinful human nature. But as we step into Christ, as we step into relationship with our awesome God, we are called to not grumble. To not argue. And arguments, you might think, what, in the church? Arguments? Yeah. Unfortunately, there's often a good church fight, isn't there? Rarely over anything that actually affects our salvation. We're not debating whether or not Jesus actually died on the cross. The things that we fight about are paint colors, carpet colors, to keep or not to keep chairs and or pews. These are historical fights, not just GBC, FYI. I'm not talking about our church specifically, but just in general. These are the stories that you hear of church arguments. Whether or not to open a building, should this happen, should that happen? We're arguing left, right, and center. We argue over things that are stylistic preferences. We argue over anything that we don't like because we moan and we argue. I do it. You do it. I don't think there's a human alive that doesn't do it. Yet, yet, we're taught, we are called, we are instructed in our humility in our valuing of one another, to serve one another as we serve God, to obey God, and to do all of that without arguing, without grumbling. I wonder what it would look like as we are revived, as we are being brought back into the flesh with one another, as we are being brought back maybe by His Spirit, being renewed, being revived, if you will. I wonder what it might look like for us to come back and say, right, let's go. We're going to serve and we're going to obey and we're going to honor one another and love one another and we're going to do so without grumbling or, or arguing. Come on! What if that was our church culture? What if that was the culture shift that we've been praying for and seeing that actually we as a people would not argue, we would as a people would genuinely honor one another, love one another, and move humbly together? Not about following this person or that person, but about saying we're going to follow Christ. What would it look like for every church worldwide to step into that? The reviving wouldn't just happen to our church if we all stepped into that humility. Reviving or revival, dare I say, will be everywhere. As God's people focus on him to serve him and are obedient to him, as we do so with love, with grace, with mercy, as we do so humbling ourselves in humility, the world would be changed because we are being changed by our awesome, amazing God. See, Paul here is saying that in our unity, as we are obedient to God, as we are serving him, in that we cannot grumble. We are not meant to grumble. We are not meant to argue. But then you might be thinking, well, what does that mean for us today? Because he was writing to the church in Philippi, right? But actually that means that as we are revived, we need to let humility and service be realities. 
as we come back into building together, as we come back into youth work and children's work, as we come back to serving teas and coffees, as we open up the cafe, as we launch renewed well-being, as we, as we live lives as brothers and sisters, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as we move forward where God is calling us to move, we must do so in humility because actually as we are revived, if the revival in us does not include that of humility, does not include that of service and obedience, then we're missing something. We need to recognize that as we revive, as we become living again, as we become more alive than what we were, that part of our living is being obedient to God, that part of our living is serving God, serving one another, loving one another, Part of our living is eating some of that humble pie, being humbled, standing in humility. And the thing is that that, that humility is never just going to come from simply saying, I'm going to be humble. Ta-da! We're never going to wake up and just be like, today, today's a humble day. I'm done. We're sorted. Humble, humility, tick. Humility, true, true humility is going to come from a place of recognizing that no matter how smart or holy or or good-looking or gifted or talented or whatever that we may be, there are others that are, are gonna be worth maybe honoring or maybe worth serving, maybe because maybe because that is what Jesus was. Maybe, maybe he was Jesus, the, the, the one that we want to humble ourselves before and, and really honor and love. He was the, the most smart, the most holy, the most gifted, the, the most perfect. And actually, as there is someone greater than us in all respects, that maybe I should eat my humble pie and worship him. And as I worship him and serve him and recognize that actually he's placed me with those around me, to serve them, to love them, to be obedient to him and walk together in unity. And the thing is that that is not my call. That is not a call on my life just as a pastor. That is a call on our lives as Christians. Maybe I need to realize that that looking at Jesus, realize what he's done for us. You know, we see Paul, Paul brings in the crucifixion right there in the middle of this letter. Some 30 years after he started the church, so this is like more than 30 years after Jesus took the cross, like this is years and years after the actual crucifixion, like the word of Jesus is spread. He is there and he's saying, hey, let me remind you that 30 years on, we gotta be like him. We gotta humble ourselves like him because he humbled himself to take the cross, even death. He was obedient to death and even death on the cross. And he makes that point because death on the cross was vile, it was painful, it was reserved for the criminals at the time. And he says, Jesus did that for us. He humbled himself. He had all authority. He was God himself, but he did not go for that power. He dropped that. He humbled himself. And if Jesus can humble himself and relinquish all of that for the sake of us, surely we can relinquish relinquish whatever it is that we have for the sake of one another, for the sake of the kingdom. I firmly believe that we are called to eat some humble pie together. Not as a negative thing. Not as a shut up and eat your humble pie. You were wrong. Ha 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 ha. But as a thing of saying, you know what? I welcome the humble pie. Where's my pie? What flavor is it today? Humility. Awesome. Can't wait. Because without it, without it, we can't walk together. Without it, we cannot walk together as one. Without it, we cannot be reminded of who Jesus is. Without our humility, without our service, without our obedience, we cannot be Christians. 
And that's a big statement. And you might want to call me up on that, but that's the truth. If you declare that you love Jesus with all that you are, if you declare that you believe that he lived a life and he took the cross for you and for me and that he rose again, if you believe those things to be true, that is awesome. But actually your humility is what is really going to let that set in. Because you can declare it with your words. But it is how we live our lives. It is how we live our lives that reflects that we truly get it. If I live a life that doesn't include me humbling myself, then I haven't gotten it. I don't understand what Jesus' death on the cross was for me. If I don't live a life of service, if I don't live a life of obedience to God, then I don't get it. That's challenging stuff. I get that. And it's a challenge that we got to face every day. I get that. I'm there with you. As a pastor, I'm still day by day going, Lord, let me humble myself. I am sorry. Where's my pie? But it is in our humility. It is in our, our truly saying, there is no one greater than Jesus. And I'm not even going to try and get myself up there. And, and you know what? Because he is the greatest, he has called me to love you and those around me. And he's called me to do something I want to do. I want to serve. I want to be, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you and love and serve. That is where our humility is seen. So the question is, how are we going to walk and serve and obey? Are we going to do so in humility? Recognizing that that is one of the key things that we see Jesus does that we want to live like. Is eating a slice of humble pie really going to be a bad thing for you? Or are you going to welcome it? Are you, as, a, as you're being revived and filled with this new life, do you want to take a seat at the table, enjoying that humble pie, preparing to obey God and to serve him and others around you? He won't make you, he won't make me. But there's something in that humble pie for all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I thank you so much, God. For, for, for the fact that Jesus humbled himself and took the cross for us. Lord, may we live like Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be humbled by you. I pray that by your spirit, Lord, you would convict us. You would do work in us, God. I pray that by your spirit, you would transform, that you would truly allow us to stand in your presence, humbled, that we would be ready to obey you, ready to serve you, and God, that we would honor those around us, God, that we would lift up others above ourselves. Lord, we know we're going to get things wrong because we still don't have it all figured out. But Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would guide us and lead us. That we would give our lives for you. That we would be made holy as we serve you, as we're obedient to you, God. That we would give everything we have for you. And that we would do so with humble hearts. We, 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 we thank you, God. We praise you and we love you. 
but we know that we need more of you. So give us strength, give us courage to obey, to serve, to take a seat at the table and order some humble pie. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.